Hey there, I'm Abel, and I'm really excited to be speaking to you today for the third part of our series, Wise Up. Have you been in a conflict recently? Have you been so aware of how different you are from others that you wonder where you belong? We're living in one of the most divided times of modern history. Uh, in a study recently commissioned by the BBC, it was found that 66% of the people around the world believe that their country is divided. The majority saying it's more divided today than it was 10 years ago. 74% of the respondents from Malaysia say we're more divided politically and societally today than ever before. So what is the Christian response to division? Well, I believe that church is called to be a force for unity in diversity to be a bridge builder, a rebuilder in a time of deconstruction. And in our personal lives, we're called to be wise in conflict. In part one of this series, Abby spoke about how God gives us wisdom for our trials. In part two, Jacinta spoke about the wisdom we can receive through our battles. And today, I wanna to speak to you today on how we can exercise wisdom in conflict. You see, knowledge is revealed in tests, but wisdom is revealed in relationships. So let's read from James 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? James is basically saying, if you think you're wise, here's the evidence. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17, But wisdom comes that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So how do we exercise wisdom during times of conflict? Well, I believe there are four actions that produce wisdom. Number one, lean in to listen. Number two, pause under pressure. Number three, celebrate the core. And number four, extinguish the ego. Firstly, listen and lean in to listen. It's been said that wisdom listens before speaking and thinks before acting, observes before indulging, and asks when in doubt. So what is the posture of your heart in conflict? Is it to want something from someone or for someone? In verse 16, James talks about how where there is selfish ambition, there is disorder. You see, wisdom doesn't seek to overtake, but to understand. There has never been a wise person who was alone. Wisdom, by its very nature, is relational because it brings value to other people. You know, popular culture depicts wisdom as that inaccessible old sage who lives alone at the top of the mountain, far away from reach from the common person. But the Gospels depict wisdom very differently. Jesus, the wisdom of God, gave up his throne of glory to be among us to be with us. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is described as a woman in a public square saying, turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. 
The world is drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. But the Bible tells us wisdom is only an ear away. The secret to wisdom is good listening. And this is why James writes in uh, chapter 1, verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Here, James uses the Greek word akuo, the root word for the English word acoustics, to understand from listening well. But good listening is only possible when we're paying attention. So James writes next, be slow to speak. James is saying one of the wisest things to do in a tense conversation is to listen actively. Chris Voss, uh, the former FBI hostage negotiator says, the beauty of empathy is that it doesn't demand that you agree with the other person's ideas. You see, listening is like a martial art. It's a balance of emotional intelligence and influence. It's a pathway to trust. It's free and yet it's costly because it demands the sacrifice of the ego. But listening also gives us insight we may not yet have. In uh, Proverbs 15, verse 22, it says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advices, they succeed. The most humble, the wisest questions we can ever ask tend to start with the word how, because they don't presume yet that we know the answer already. One of the most powerful questions I've ever received personally was when someone asked me, Abel, how was your walk with God? You know, that question took me by surprise. This question came at a time when I knew I was far from God and it sparked a growth in my life that wouldn't have come through a lecture or a preach. So never underestimate the power of a listening posture and a good question. The second action that brings wisdom in conflict is to pause under pressure. James writes in verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now notice that none of these attributes sound hurried or rushed. This wisdom, like good fruit, takes its time to mature. A few weeks ago, I was resting on the couch and scrolling on my phone after a tiring day of work. I felt that I deserved a moment of rest. Jacinta and I tried to divide the housework in our house, and earlier in the day, we both noticed that the floors needed cleaning, and so she said she would clean the floor. Clearly, Jacinta doesn't work as hard as I do. Now, there I was, I'm sitting on the couch, trying to relax, while Jacinta begins to take out the vacuum cleaner, and she plugs it in, gets ready to, uh, to work it. And as I you know, rest on the couch, I notice that Jacinta is unusually quiet while she does the cleaning. And the vacuum cleaner is unusually louder while she cleans. As I sit on the couch trying to look occupied, the noises keep getting louder, and Jacinta seems to be pushing the chairs very loud today. She's knocking the vacuum cleaner against the table loudly. And I think to myself, she must be really angry that I'm not helping her. I try to ignore the noises and continue to scroll, but the noises keep getting louder and louder. So I get up from my couch, and I'm angry now, right? And I begin to find things to tidy up in the house as well, just to match her energy. I push the chairs back into the tables. I make sure it's loud enough for her to hear it. I walk to the kitchen. I put back the plates into the cupboards. I close the cupboard door loudly. 
And then Jacinta says to me, Abel, why are you so angry? And I say to her, no, why are you angry? And she says to me, I'm not angry. Why are you angry? And I say, me? I'm not angry. And after a few more rounds of this back and forth, we established that not only was I the only angry one, I was also the foolish one. Have you noticed that we are rarely wise when we're in a hurry? James writes in James 1 verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And the reason he says that is because the speed of anger is fast, but the pace of peace is unhurried. Now, I'm usually fast when I'm furious, but strangely enough, I tend to be wiser when I'm speaking slower. Wisdom has a speed in times of tension, and it moves at the speed of pause power. So when the pressure begins to rise up in that tense conversation, pause at the pressure, slow your speech down, maybe even ask for a timeout. Pausing gives everyone in a time of conflict the power to choose to step into or to step away from this issue. It gives everyone an opportunity to choose their words carefully and to select the responses of their better selves. It gives clarity when the fogginess of anger begins to blur your vision. You can ask, please could you explain what you're saying as a pause to the chat or say, can we come back again to this issue when we're calmer? Then ask the Holy Spirit to replace the chaos with peace. Make space for the Spirit to move. Then number three, celebrate the call. James writes in verse 14 that selfish ambition is fake wisdom, but godly ambition is considerate and impartial. Here the word considerate that James uses is that of being moderate and gentle, relaxing, overly strict standards in order to keep the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. In other words, wisdom finds a common path. It centers on the core and focuses on what is mutually worth fighting for. It turns the conversation from a contest centered on what I want to a cooperation focused on what we need. True wisdom puts the spotlight on what is really important in the relationship. It differentiates between the essential from the peripheral. In times of conflict, you can ask, what can I celebrate in this person? Some years ago, I had just joined a new team at work, and this team was really diverse. And I realized very quickly that this was a team unlike any other. It had one of the biggest age range of generations I had ever encountered. There was a lovely uncle who was in his 80s, and then there were the 20-something-year-olds. And then there was me, the clueless new leader who was tasked with trying to grow the team culture and to bring the functions closer. Now, in my previous job, I had seen a slightly strange but really helpful exercise called the shout-outs, where people would thank others in the team by name for something that they had done the week before. They would thank each other on what they had contributed to the team, a round of kind of like a, a verbal public encouragement. And because I couldn't think of anything better, we decided to try this idea at the start of every team meeting. 
the first time we did this uh, round of shoutouts, it was the most awkward moment. People were visibly uncomfortable. The pauses were long. The energy was nervous. We needed to grow our muscle of celebration. But over the months and years, the shoutouts became one of our highest points of the week. So I witnessed people being celebrated and called to their best selves. I saw bosses thank their team for giving them feedback. I saw people across teams with different goals giving each other credit. The interns celebrated and honoured as one of the team. Our mutual celebration of each other had become the single most important leadership decision we took to turn conflict into collaboration. You see, peace doesn't come through the avoidance of conflict, but through the ability to face it with wisdom and love. When we celebrate the good in others, the posture of our heart changes from me to we. If complaining limits our contentment, then celebrating unlocks it. And that means when it comes to diversity, we don't just settle for tolerance or acceptance, we steward diversity with celebration. It was the theologian Rupertus Meldenius who said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. As you invest in the essentials, celebrating what is core, you will see unity grow and reap a harvest of righteousness. Perhaps in the past, you may have been treated differently because of your race, your gender, your age, your background. Maybe this is something you face every day. But I want to tell you today that God is neither colorblind nor preferential. Diversity was his idea. Your race, gender, and background are not accidents, but gifts as part of God's beautiful work. As a young boy, I, I grew up wishing that I was born a different color or raised in a different context. None of my childhood heroes on TV looked like me, well, except Kelong men. Uh, until one day, the pin dropped and I realized that there are some things in life that we don't get to choose, not because they are accidents, but because they are gifts. The diversity you bring to the table is a gift to be celebrated, not an accident to be tolerated. James writes in James 2, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. We may belong in our tribes, but as followers of Christ, we do not favor our own tribes because we now belong to a higher identity with sons and daughters of the King. As a church, we're called to act justly, to reject any form of prejudice or bias because Jesus calls favoritism a sin. We're called to love mercy, to raise others up with kindness because Jesus came to serve. We're called to walk humbly, to do it all from a place of surrender because Jesus gave it all. So lean in to listen, pause under pressure, celebrate the core, and finally, extinguish the ego. In verse 17, James says, wisdom from above is submissive. And what does he mean here? He's really talking about who the conflict is about. The wise person sets aside his preferences, willing to take the place of humility. His posture is a giving posture, willing to meet the needs of other people. 
Earlier this week, I read the story of Behan Mutlu, a Turkish man who was out drinking with his friends one day when he wandered into a nearby forest and then didn't return. After hours of losing their friend, Behan's friends reported his disappearance and a search and rescue mission was called as hundreds of volunteers began searching for him, combing the forest for him. For hours, the search and rescue teams called out Behan's name but couldn't find him. Then suddenly, a man from within the group stepped forward and said, Hey, who are we looking for again? I'm right here. It turned out that Behan was so drunk that he joined his own rescue mission and was looking for himself the entire time. James writes that the secret to true wisdom is found in identifying our selfish desires and checking them. Yet, like Behan, we so often step into moments of conflict, blaming others without realizing we are the problem. This is why James writes in James 2 verse 8, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as you love yourself, you are doing right. Jack Parr wrote, Looking back, my life seems like one big obstacle race. The chief obstacle was me. So how do we live lives of giving and lead from a servant-hearted posture? How do we give up our own selfish agendas? You know, I think there are two ways of giving up something really important. Uh, I could either have it taken away from me, or I could give it joyfully. The first often involves regret and strife. It usually even involves like taking it back when the chance presents itself. But the second, giving joyfully, involves a long-term exchange for something better. Jesus gave it all for us because he saw something far better than his self-preservation. His greatest treasure was us and his joy for us became his endurance on the cross. The only way we'll be able to give up our selfish agendas is to trade them for something bigger and better. And Jesus, the wisdom of God, offers us not a set of principles, but a friendship more valuable than anything on earth. The Bible tells us that while we were enemies of God, living in conflict with Him, Jesus overcame the divide of sin and prejudice to give us new life. Unlike that insurmountable mountain, we must climb to attain wisdom we can never have. Jesus came down from the mountain to the valley of our despair, to give us peace. The wisdom of God came for you. He leveled the mountains of prejudice. He rejects preferential treatment and bias. At the foot of the cross, all is level. He breached the divide and overcame the chasm of our isolation to bring unity in diversity. And today he can meet you where you are. Just listen. What is he saying to you now? We're now going to wait for the Holy Spirit to speak for us uh, and speak to us and, and to fill us. And you may want to raise your hands uh, like this wherever you are, just as an act of being open to Him because He's speaking right now. And so Holy Spirit, we wait for you and we turn our ears to you. Fill us now, Lord. 